Well, happy Mother's Day. I dressed up for my mom this morning. I know she's watching. Mom, I know you watch faithfully every Sunday. I hope you're pleased by how I dress today. I hope you have a great Mother's Day, and I love you. And I am really been praying. Have been pr- I, I have a sermon in this file that I've been praying through for a lot the last couple weeks, and I pray it's a special sermon for all of us. And so before we open up God's Word, will you bow with me in prayer? I really need God's strength today. Holy Spirit, I believe in your power to use your Word to enlighten our eyes to truth. I also believe that even though we are using a different kind of context than we normally do, normally we're face-to-face, now we're preaching through technology, you still use your word. It is active. It's a double-edged sword. It pierces the heart. And I pray that you do that today with this message. And so, Jesus, I pray you're honored. And dear Father God, I pray that you're pleased. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. I want to open with a question, and my question is rather simple. When do you think a human being grows up? And by that, I mean, when do the lights come on? When does it register in a person's mind that I have purpose on this earth and I better get busy. When does that happen? Some people will say, well, that happens when they reach a certain age. It's uh, 18, maybe 21, maybe 30 years old. Some people say it's after they graduate high school, they get a college degree. Some people would say it's, they have to wait till they get married. That's when things really become important. I believe two things have to occur for a person to wake up. Wake up about their purpose on life. Just wake up to the reality that God cares. And here's what has to happen. Two things. And I believe it happens in the mind. Happens in the mind, in the worldview. And the first thing is this. Something happens to a person, and this is true in my life, is when I realize that I have to face God on my own. That I can't hide behind my mom's skirt anymore. Or I can't say that I am okay in God's sight because my grandmother sang in the choir. That There comes a point in time in a person's heart when they know they're going to have to walk into the throne room of God and stand before the king. And the way I imagine it is the king will probably be sitting on, I don't know if it's an iron throne or an ivory throne or a throne made out of clear crystal. But his robes are going to flow over throughout the temple. Smoke's going to fill it. Angels are going to be they're going to be flying, probably covering their eyes. And there I am going to be standing before the king. He's going to have probably this arm resting on the shoulder. He's going to examine me with this on his chin. He's going to say, so Chris, what did you do with the life I gave you? I gave you breath. I put my image on you. What did you do? And I won't, have, I won't have anywhere to hide. I'm responsible. But I think there's also a second layer to this. It's not just realizing I'm responsible. 
but it's also understanding what my responsibility is. Like, I could claim ignorance. I, I don't know. I think I did okay, Jesus, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do. What was I supposed to do? A, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I went out to dinner. And when we out, went out to dinner, we told my daughter Jasmine to do the dishes and vacuum the living room carpet. We told Giovanni to cut the grass and take out the garbage. Very simple, very simple. We went out about four or five hours. We came back, and I drive back into the driveway, and I see the grass hasn't been, hasn't been cut. The garbage in the garage is overflowing. I go into the kitchen. My wife sees that the dishes are stacked high. Flies are buzzing around, and we go in the living room, and sure enough, there's hairballs all over the living room floor. But we look over to the side, and there they are painting a giant mural on our wall, a rainbow with a pink unicorn. It was beautiful. And I said, what, what are you guys doing since we've been gone? And they said, Dad, do you like it? And I looked at it, and I started crying. And I said, I'm so glad you're doing something that makes you happy and fulfilled. I, oh, I hope you are self-actualizing. I really pray that, I really pray that our time away from you has given you a chance to explore who you really are. No, I didn't say that, and that really didn't happen. But if that did happen, I would have been mad. <laughs> but can you imagine going to God and saying, how did you do, Chris? I was self-actualizing most of my life, and I did what I felt made me happy. No, no. The title of our message today is, what is my responsibility? Would you like to know what your responsibility is? This is so important because you're going to be accountable. In the words I find, I've been, I've been haunted by, I've been trying to memorize in the last two weeks. They're found in the book of John, chapter 12, 44 to 50, if you could turn there. The context is very simple. The book of John is divided in two parts. The first half, from chapter 1 through the end of 12, is Jesus' public ministry. Performs miracles, gathers disciples. Then chapter 13 to the end is the march to the cross where he's very personal with his disciples. This is the very end of his public ministry. Seven verses. The setting is he's probably in the temple grounds of Jerusalem. All these pilgrims are flooding the city because the Passover is coming. And so Jesus is going to give this final synopsis. Most scholars say these last seven verses are a complete synopsis of everything he's said so far. Boiled down in a mere seven verses. And it begins in chapter 12, verse 44, and it says, And Jesus cried out. And that word in the Greek, some scholars have said it's like a, a crow. Squawking loud. We would say shouting. So Jesus was shouting, and he's shouting for a purpose because this is a general call to all people to listen, but also it's urgent. So he's calling. And if you think about it, this may be the last word some people ever heard Jesus utter. So here's what he says. And imagine he's shouting, so I might get a little louder. I'm going to shout. Whoever, whoever believes in me, Believes not in me, but him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him 
who sent me. I came into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And it continues on. If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge them. That's, a, that's an amazing statement to me. I've been pondering that for a long time. Whoever hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. That was his first mission. And then he says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Okay. And Jesus continues, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So what Jesus is saying was a commandment from the Father. And he says, and I know his commandment is eternal life. That means it's, it's life, it's good, it's the best thing for us. And that's why the very end says, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. John 12, 44 to 50. The point of this passage is very simple. And here's our responsibility. Are you ready? What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with this man? That's your responsibility. What do you do with his life? And what do you do with his words? Because you're going to be judged on it on the last day. Why is this the most important question of life? I mean, I think this is the most important question of all of life. Why is it the most important question? I can only explain it in the metaphor because I think this metaphor will bring out emotion a little bit because I think sometimes we get too sterile in the way we see. So metaphor brings out texture and contour. I view the Christian walk like a journey. And the best journey I can think of is imagine you have the old world of Europe and the king wants to go send a ship to the new world to explore and then come back with either gold, spices, or just some new ideas to bring back to the old world. I view Christianity in the same way. The old world's heaven, God sends us to the new world earth, and we are someday going to be brought back to God. Now imagine the king is getting this ship ready to go to the new world. On that ship, he assigns his son to be the captain. The son picks a crew of 200, and they set out. He's a great captain, honestly. But about two weeks into the journey, some of the men are like, I'm tired of taking orders from him. But he's a good man. I know he's a good man, but don't you just want to do what you want to do? I mean, we're, we always have these things he wants us to do. Hey, hey, why don't we take over the ship? Great idea. So let's say ten of the, ten of the ugliest and meanest guys go down into the cabin of the sun take his legs and wrap them up with chains and put a cannonball on the bottom and they lift them up and he's trying to struggle but they drop him over the edge of the boat and he sinks and they're like ah, now we can live so they go to the new world they find gold there they find spices yeah they kill a few natives but who cares they're having a great time why are you so hard on them they're they're you know they're they're self actualizing they're determining their own way, so get off their back. Well, 
few of them said, you know, we've been here a long time. Can we go back home and see our family? So sure enough, they load the boat up with gold, spices. They head back. They're getting ready to go back. And there's the king with his entourage, trumpets. And the ship is immaculate because they knew they were going to get to the shore. So they scrub the deck. The sails are up. They're, you know, they're waving in the wind. And they're in their best-dressed whites in the Navy getting ready to see the king. They come to the dock, and the king, king's looking. What do you think the first question is the king asks? How much gold did you boys get? Did you have a good time? Man, that ship looks good. You guys did well. No, the first question, the first question is, where's my son? What did you do with him? What did you do with my son? The very last speech Jesus ever gives to the public is, what do you do with me? What are you going to do with me? And in this passage, he gives two choices. Actually, the book of John is full of contrast. The book of John either is, you know, often he'll talk about darkness and light, life and death. When it comes to Jesus, he gives two choices. Believe or reject. Those are the two choices. Pretty clear. To believe or reject. There's no other options. There's no other options. You can't, like, make deals. Well, what if I believe a little? Are there other things I can add to that a little bit of belief? Like, what if I do good things, like really... Uh, make the world a better place and believe a little. No, there's only believe or reject. So we need to understand what exactly these choices entail. Needs to be clear. And Jesus will make it clear. But you, you in your living room, or if you're watching on a phone in your car, You need to listen because I believe one day Jesus will sit across from you on the throne listening to you as he kind of scratches his chin and he's going to address you on your choice. So are you ready to talk about these two choices? First, we're going to talk about what is believing? What does it mean? What does believing mean? That's the first choice. Verse 44 to 46, he talks about it three times. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Then he said, I've come as a light so that whoever believe in me. So he's talking about believing as the first choice. Believing is used in the book of John, just the book of John alone, 64 times. So it's a pretty important idea. That's a lot of times, 64. The definition, the Greek term literally means to put your trust in. Not to just agree mentally, but to center your life around this person. So to take away confusion about belief, in this section, Jesus is going to detail three things that are true about a believing person. Or he's going to, if, you wanna, if, if you're confused about what it means to believe, he is going to tell us not just what, to, what it means, but what to believe in, and then what it looks like if you're really believing. Three things, very simple. Number one, believing means I see Jesus as the only one, the only one 
reveals God to the world. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him. Him. Who is him? The Father. Who is the Father? God, who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one that created the the cool us. Ski slopes that cool guys go skiing off of, and most of them think they're so cool. Jesus made that gravity for you to enjoy. This God, this God is the one who came up with the idea of redemption. He sustains us, and he will judge us. When Jesus says, whoever believes in me, believes in the one who sent me, he's saying two things. He's in perfect union with the Father. That means he's one with the Father. That's why in John 10, he says, I and the Father are one, one essence. He also says, I have a unique, I have a unique reflection of the Father. When you see me, you see him. When you see Christ, he embodies God perfectly. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, which is another word for the Word, Christ. And the Word was with God in union, and the Word was God, reflected Him perfectly. So do you want to know God? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus alone. Some of you are like, oh, that's, that's arrogant and limiting. That's arrogant. Okay, 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 if you believe that, okay, I can't wait to hear you say that to Jesus when you have to meet Him at His throne. You know, Jesus, that's kind of arrogant and limiting for you to expect me just to believe in you. Oh, what? He made the world. <laughs> why is it so complicated? And Christian, why do you feel so bad that you are saying you believe in Jesus above every other belief? He's the only one. Why are we so embarrassed about Jesus? I don't understand. Well, then some people say, well, which Jesus? The tolerant Jesus? You know, the one that ran his hand over the little lamb the the non-judgmental Jesus or the doobie brothers partying Jesus Jesus is just all right he wants me just to have fun which Jesus am I to believe in the biblical Jesus the one the Jesus that's explained in here that is the only place that is the only place Jesus can be found John Owens writes it like this the only Christ there is is the Christ of the Scriptures, which means the Bible is a direct source to know him, and the Spirit will use the word he inspired to be written. The Holy Spirit doesn't have more to say than he already clearly communicated. That is incredible, because we think the Holy Spirit's going to tell me a little bit more than Jesus. He already wrote about Jesus in here. That's what he wants you to know about. Brings us to point two. Believing is synonymous with keeping his word. The inference is clear from verse 48. If you look at verse 48, verse 48 says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And verse 47, everyone hears my words and does not keep them. So the person who rejects Jesus is the one who doesn't keep them. So the inference is the one who believes in Jesus keeps the word. Keeps the word. I want you to go to John 7, 17. It's really interesting verse. It's one of those verses, Jesus says some pretty profound things. Did you ever notice he doesn't talk a lot sometimes, but he does say some verses that hit you and you're like, what? 
chapter 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, if you keep his word, you will know him, and you will know you're doing his will. Go to John 14, 23. This is as clear as crystal. If anyone loves me, and that word love means not just believe in, but it means also cherishing the one I'm trusting in. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So believing means keeping his word. Believing also means imitating his life. It says in verse 46 that I've come to the world as light. Jesus is light. And as light, he does, he's come to light, so he doesn't want us to remain in darkness anymore. As light, light does two things. It shines, so it reveals God in full. You see him, he shines. You finally get to see what it's like. It shines light on who he is. But light also sets direction. It opens the path. Light unto my path. Displays how a person is to live. So Jesus is God, but he's also the example that we are to follow. He's our pathfinder, and we must follow him. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5.14, you, you are the light of the world. Who is? Whoever follows me. So let it shine, he says, so they may see your good works. So you are to do what Jesus did. Do his good works. So look at the list. Do you believe? You can sum up all three of these in this way. Genuine belief allows Jesus Christ to be revealed in my life. So what's my responsibility to, to allow Jesus Christ to be revealed in my life just as the Father was revealed in the Son's life? That's the way you can tell you really believe. Jesus starts becoming real in your life. Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father. He's ultimately saying, not only does Jesus believe in the Father, his faith in the Father, he's, he just he lives the Father, but he lets the Father's life live through him. And so verse 50 says it like this. I know that his commandment, Jesus talking about the Father, I know his commandment's eternal life. I know it's the best thing. It's life. What I say, therefore, I say is the Father has told me. So he just is doing the will of the Father. He's doing what God wants him to do. He's dependent on the Father. He's the most dependent person who ever lived, I once heard a scholar say. In the same way, you are to be dependent on the life of Christ. That's your responsibility. Implications, I have five. Number one, when I finally meet Jesus face to face, I'm going to have to answer this question. Did you believe in me? Is the only way to the Father. Yeah, but I also believe, no, did you believe in just me? Implication number two, do you keep his word? There's also, there's a, uh, an assumption about keeping his word. You need to know his word in order to keep his word. Do you know his word? Well, I don't read it. I don't, I don't really know it. I don't read it. Well, then maybe you don't believe. Are we allowed to say it that flat out, open anymore? Oh, I believe, but I don't know. Then maybe you don't believe. Third, 
implications? Do I spend most of my time shining as light or sinning as darkness? If you're light, don't you think you should shine? Fourth implication, do I do things so people will see me or Christ who lives in me? Do you say, I want the credit. I want to be popular. I want to do things my way. I want to live, I want to live my life where I feel fulfilled. You know, but what if Jesus doesn't want you to live like that? Well, Number five, this is an interesting one. So if I'm to live like Christ, I am not to be quick to judge. Look at verse 47 again. Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. Wow. How quick are you to judge? Jesus is waiting. So this brings us to the next option. It's rejecting. What does it mean to reject? What if a person does not choose to believe? Is there a bunch of different options? No, there's just either believe or reject. Remember, John is a man of contrast. He says there's only two choices. And that's what verse 48 says. Verse 48 says the one who rejects me, it's the opposite of the one who believes in me. The one who rejects me. This is actually mirrored in John 3.18, but it's written a different way. Listen to John 3.18. You know John 3.16, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. But listen to John 3.18. For God so loved the world, wait, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. So it's a sign of rejection. So if you don't believe, you reject. Rejection means two things from John 12. The first one is this. If I don't want to believe in Christ, it is because I'm allowing others who come in their own name to have more influence in my life than Jesus does. That's what he says in John 5. Listen to what he says in John 5. John 5, 40 and 44. Verse 40, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes? So he's, what he's saying is he's saying that you know the reason People don't really believe in Jesus because they believe in those who like glory, their own glory. A lot of times, your own glory. If someone's opinion, look at it like this. If someone's opinion differs from Jesus' opinion, ask yourself this question. By whose authority do they have the right to believe that? We need to distrust distrust other voices than Jesus because those voices are still coming from darkness. Jesus is light, so he knows what he's talking about. He sees clearly, but those in darkness are stumbling around. Why are you believing what they're saying about themselves? They don't know. It's crazy. 
just because someone says their opinion with firm resolve does not mean they see correctly. Think about it like this. Do the experts really know what's going on with this coronavirus? It changes every week. Second point of rejection. Rejection means, and that's what we've read a hundred times, not keeping his word. And the reason we don't keep his word is because I like to do what I want to do. I like my independence. Verse 47. Truly I say to you, oh wait, I'm back on 3. 12, 47. If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I don't judge him. So a way you can tell you're rejecting him is you're not keeping his word because I like my independence. I don't keep his word because I don't want to do what he wants me to do. Simple as that. It's as simple as that. What does independence really mean? Because we're so proud of our independence. On a spiritual level, independence is nothing more than a person who likes to stay in the dark. They reject the light, so now all they want to do is blindly stumble on their own. So actual rejection actually keeps me, you could say it like this, keeps me in spiritual darkness. Keeps me in spiritual darkness as I fail to see that I am taking God's mercy for granted. Jesus is amazing. He doesn't judge. He lets you stumble. But the problem with people in darkness is because we're not immediately judged, we are assuming God is okay with what I'm doing. It's a dangerous place. That's why when you reject Jesus, it doesn't bounce immediately back to you because mercy's holding judgment back. Mercy's amazing, but it's also scary. Here's the implication. Number one, if I'm actually rejecting God, I will continue to sin without guilt. Since I determine what's right, I'm determining things I know nothing about because I'm in darkness, so I determine the way I want to play this game called life. That means I'm in darkness. Then I have no standards to live up to. And if I have no standards to live up to, I have no guilt. I have no responsibility. That's why a lot of people who reject Jesus never wrestle with guilt. In fact, we're trying to whitewash away this whole idea of guilt because it's bad for your psyche. It's bad for your psyche. Second implication of people who reject Jesus. People who reject Jesus want to impress those who are impressed with themselves. Those who seek glory of their own, we want to impress them. Those who have made a name for themselves are the voices that matter to us. Kind of like watching Hollywood on Oscar night. It's kind of embarrassing. Wasn't that a wonderful speech? Yes. So great. We all love each other. You know, I've realized, I think that's why pretty women like wild guys, because they figure the wild guy who's so kind of proud and puffed up about himself, thinking himself all that. If he likes me, then I must be all that. It's a weird cycle. But all it is is finding your significance in the loudmouth. Pride. Third implication of rejection is that the last day keeps being put off, keeps being ignored, keeps being ridiculed or mocked. But when it comes, it will be too late. Look at Hebrews 9.27. 
I want you to look at this so you can find it in your Bibles and look at and stare at it later because it's so clear. Clear as clear can be. And it will stop so many different, what I would call crazy assumptions formed in the darkness. Hebrews 9.27 Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So when Jesus says, here's what he says. He says, I have not come to judge, but there is a judge. My words, my words that I have spoken will judge that person on the last day. So for most people, at the age of accountability, when I realize and understand things, I usually have about 50, 60 years. So Jesus is waiting for 50 to 60 years. But when that time comes, you face judgment. You're going to have to sit in front of them and say, what did you do with my son? God honestly wants us to be fulfilled. He wants us to have life and life to the full. That's why I saw at the very end, verse 50 says, Jesus says, I know, I know. The commandment is eternal life. Eternal life's what we've been made for. It's great. God wants us to be happy. However, never forget, never forget, the author of the story always gets to make the rules. There's a lot of gamers in our church. Jared's a gamer. I, Andrew Newton's right here. Andrew, are you a gamer? He's, he said yes to me so you could see him. It's kind of like at church. And the interesting thing about gamers, one thing I've learned about gamers, is when you play a game with them, you better play by the rules. You just better play by, it's just not fun not playing by the rules, but also when you play by the rules, it helps everybody to be on the same page. I was, I'm, not, I'm not mocking this person, I'm just telling you the truth. I was playing Yahtzee with somebody. It's just a nice game of Yahtzee. If you ever played Yahtzee, you roll it three times. Hopefully you get all five dice. Yahtzee! We had this kid in high school, he called him Yahtzee. He'd go down the halls and goes, Yahtzee! He's the weirdest kid I ever knew. But if you roll a Yahtzee, it's exciting. And I was with this person. They said, hey, you really want to make Yahtzee exciting? Let's allow four rolls. Can you believe that, Andrew? You don't do that. Why not, why not let five rolls? Why not six? Why not every roll till you get a Yahtzee? You have the greatest scorecard ever. Why not change the rules? Because that's not how the game is played. It's not the way the inventor of Yahtzee played it. Now, God has set rules. He's called commandments. And he doesn't set these rules because he is mean and he's an ogre. says his commandment's eternal life. It's the best thing for us. And one of his rules is, what do you do with my son? Do you reject my son or believe in my son? And how you answer that is going to be how you face the end of days. Will you be ready to face him? I mean, honestly. Or not. The, the, the scary thing about this coronavirus, it's putting death closer to most of us. We want to mitigate it, get rid of death, stay in so we never have to die. But someday it's going to come. It just is. 
So what's your choice? Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes in the one who sent me. Do you believe? Let's pray. Father, these are your words. They're very clear and concise. And I pray that people who are listening to this will understand without a shadow of a doubt what their responsibility is. It's to the Son, to obedience to him. I pray they would quit playing these games of, well, maybe there's another way. Maybe Jesus is going to have all kind of, uh, you know, special, give me special favors. No, it's pretty clear. Thank you, God, for this morning and this opportunity to preach. In Jesus' name we pray.